0: as I was going through this uh, week's study and preparation by Monday afternoon I had texted Megan I said I really think we should move the order of service around because this passage is so (coughs) beautiful it's so complex which also scares me by the way because I have to make it seem simple without it losing its complexity so you're going to have to make sure that as we get into this Just prepare yourself. You're going to need to pay attention. You need to focus. There's a lot of great things in here that I just don't want you to miss. We're continuing with our series, uh, Letters from Heaven. This is week two. I've entitled it Greetings from Patmos. So we're just going to read this passage here in just a moment. I'm not going to do my standard introduction. This is written by a 90-year-old man in an isolated brutal, first-century prison. There's no plumbing. There's no electricity. There's no medical care. There's no heating. There's no cooling. There's no comfortable bedding. Terrible nutrition. It is a horrible place to be for anyone, especially somebody who's over 90 years old. With that in mind, let's read the passage. Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. John, to the seven churches in Asia... Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings on earth, to him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father, To him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. There's so much here. I hope that you are inspired by it as much as I was in preparing this message this week. The history of this passage is interesting. This is an old man in prison. It's an island prison. So last year, Laura and I visited, visited a place. Some of you might have heard of it. It's about 70 miles southwest of the Keys. It's called the Dry Tortugas. And on it, there's an army fort that was built in about the 1800s. And it really is. <clears throat> and you look at it from away, it's a beautiful place. But there's no reliable fresh water source there. It's severe weather often. It's isolated, and in the summertime, it's hot. It is, in fact, while it may seem beautiful, a very tough place to live and survive. And we learned stories there when we were visiting and they were giving us a tour of the suffering from those who were stationed there, the disease. Sometimes there was famine and starvation (coughs) stuck in the middle of the ocean, (coughs) excuse me, There were also prisoners kept there during the Civil War. The most famous was a man called Dr. Samuel Mudd. And that was the prison that he stayed in, or the cell that he was in. You can see there's, even if you're in an island, you'd think you'd at least have a good view. You could probably barely see out the window. And this is what he wrote on the walls. Whosoever entereth here leaves all hope behind. I mean, if this is how Samuel Mudd felt in the 1800s, imagine how rough a first century island isolated prison like this would be like. That's the proper perspective for you to have for the conditions that this 90-year-old apostle is enduring while he's on Patmos when he wrote the book of Revelation. The emperor Domitian had put John there for preaching the gospel and the emperor just assumed that John would die there hopefully soon as a very old man. At this point, John is an enemy of Rome, and he has no special privileges. There's no proper medical care, no proper nutrition. There's no social interaction. These conditions would be very hard on anyone. Certainly it is caused, if you would think about it, in a natural situation, it will have caused significant cognitive decline physical decline, emotional decline. Not only that, the apostle John does not have access to Old Testament scrolls, does not have access to copies of the Gospels or other apostolic writings like the letters of Paul or Peter. In fact, did you know this? At this point, this is something many people don't realize. While he's in this prison on Patmos, all the other apostles have died. He's the only one left. And yet, somehow, with the odds stacked against him in all these ways, he writes this beautiful, complex book without access to research, a scribe to take down what he's saying, or even decent writing materials. We'll we'll circle back later to these verifiable historical archaeological facts. But what I want you to see is the fact that this book even exists is a beautiful affirmation of our faith and an evidence of the miracle of Scripture. The next thing I want you to see about the history is this idea of seven churches. We'll bump up against this number seven throughout our study in Revelation. So we must begin to train our minds and our thoughts so we know how to process this the right way when we see it. And it's important to understand culturally, historically, at the time, what the number seven would have represented to John's readers. It represented completeness, thoroughness. Anyone with any exposure at all to the Old Testament scriptures would know when they hear the number seven, it represented this completion, not just physical, but spiritual as well. It's a colloquial association with roots going back to the seven days of creation. This number seven shows up 860 times in Scripture. 860. It shows up 57 times just in Revelation alone. John uses three references to seven just in today's greeting passage. The first time is when he is greeting the seven churches he is writing to. These are actual seven literal congregations that were planted by who? The Apostle Paul in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey today. But it goes beyond them. He uses seven strategically, literally, to inform his readers that this book is not just meant for those seven churches, but for the complete church. The church everywhere, the church then and the church to come. So when he says, greetings to the seven churches, he's talking about those seven churches, but he's also talking about the whole church. Seven churches is a directive that all of Revelation is intended for all congregations to be read aloud and studied together. And later in this passage, we'll see the second use of a seven in a heavenly greeting from the seven spirits. And then there's also a third, more subtle, hidden seven that we're going to discover, I think you'll like. So that's the history of the passage. Let's look at the the spiritual aspect of today. I've called this section, Greetings from God. So after his personal greeting, it says, John to the seven churches in Asia Minor. John now becomes a messenger. He's channeling, delivering greetings directly from heaven to these seven churches. John is saying, Churches, this next greeting isn't from me, it's directly from heaven, so listen up. This greeting is fascinating, and what it becomes, if you'll see as we go through, it is one of the best treatises in Scripture for the doctrine of what we call the Trinity. Its complexity is stunning, and it intimidated me as I tried to take all of it and boil it into a 25, 35, 50-minute sermon. Just kidding, (laughs) 30-minute sermon. The first thing I want you to see is, Greetings from the one who is and was and is to come. This is the father. It's a reference to the name God actually gave himself starting in Exodus. This is the first reference to the Old Testament that we see in this passage. He is the one who always has been. Exodus 3.14, part A, the first part. God said to Moses, I am who I am. That's what it means. He is the one who was and is and is to come. This Hebrew name means he has no beginning He has no end. He always has been and always will be. That's what God named himself. Unlike empires and kingdoms and nations or even creation itself, God isn't bound by time. He transcends time. As a matter of fact, he created time. Then there's the second greeting from the Trinity, from the seven spirits. That sounds odd, right? Greetings from God, the Father, and then the seven spirits. This is actually, and the first century readers would know this, this does not mean there are seven different spirits. But it is one complete spirit of God and all the things that he brings when he indwells us. And unlike us, first century readers would quickly, easily see an obvious connection for them with a particular phrase and a passage in Isaiah. Isaiah 11.2. Watch this. Are you ready? You're going to love this. The spirit of the Lord... One, shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom, two, and understanding, three, the spirit of counsel, number four, and of might, number five, the spirit of knowledge, number six, the fear of the Lord, number seven. Do you see that? Those are the seven spirits. And first century readers would know exactly what passage he was talking about. Oh, the seven spirits. That's Isaiah. But for us, it's like, wow, that's pretty cool, right? Right? You see them. There's seven descriptions. What a beautiful detail in the Spirit's personal greeting. So we have greetings from the one who was and is and is to come and greeting from the seven Spirits, the one listed in Isaiah. This phrase is an example of why we cannot read, listen carefully, we cannot read Revelation from a 21st century perspective. You have to read it in context. And then there's a third greeting from the Trinity, it's from Jesus. Watch how many details are given by the next person in the Trinity compared to the first two, God and the Spirit. This is amazing. First of all, there's a description of who he is. It's clear the third person in this greeting from heaven is the preeminent focus of this passage. It says here, he is the faithful witness. By the way, the word witness means martyr, the faithful who died. It's a reference to the cross where Jesus died for our sins. He's also described as the firstborn among the dead, the head of the church and the first of the dead to be resurrected. It's referencing exactly what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, when he said, he is the head of the body, the church, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Here's a New Testament reference. Then he's also the ruler of kings. See if you can pick up on a beautiful connection between the passage I just read in Colossians and the one in Psalms that John is referring to, Psalm 89, 27. I will make him the firstborn. Boom. See that? The highest of the kings of the earth. In a brilliant way, the Spirit of God inspires John to write this greeting and what Jesus does, and he says, greetings from me, I'm all these things. I'm also the firstborn and I'm the ruler of kings. And then he has a verse in Colossians and then Psalm 89, which declares him both. These are beautiful details in this reading about Jesus from himself and who he is. Let's move to the next phrase. The next description is what he did. He's the faithful martyr who was resurrected with power over kings, and set us free by his blood. That's what he says. He has set us free. That's what he did. And what is he doing? He's creating, as John says, he is calling us to be a kingdom of priests to God out of those seven churches he references. Remember in our first Peter study, we talked about the priesthood? There's a passage from Exodus. This is another reference to the Old Testament in this passage. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. I think we're up to, what, four references now? I know I'm flying through these, but just try to track with me. Then there's another description of what he will do. You've seen who he is, what he has done, what he is doing, and now what he will do. And what is it he will do? He's coming again. And when he does, all power will be voluntarily given up to him. And when he comes, John describes it, everyone will see it. Evil and all nations will mourn their rejection of him. This is another Old Testament reference directly from Daniel 7. I saw the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. He was given dominion. Glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. There's the priesthood. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Notice how this summarizes the other portions of Jesus' description of himself. There's one more description In this passage of Jesus, see if you can pick up just a little cue with how Jesus ends his greeting. It's in verse 8. And he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and was and who is to come. The Almighty. Does that sound familiar? Well, it should. That's how the greeting began from who? The Father. What is Jesus doing here? Do you see it? Do you see the familiarity here with his last description? This is the last description of Jesus And it is the original name of God the Father. Jesus says, I am, in fact, the timeless one who is and was and is to come. Let me summarize this revelation or this apocalypse of Jesus, if you will. He who was and who is and who is to come has done great things. He is doing great things and will do great things. And above all else, he is God the Father. As a matter of fact, Jesus said this about himself when he walked on earth. In John 8, 58, Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. That means the one who is, the one who was, and the one who is to come. So I want to show you one more seven. It is actually in the descriptions that I just went over with you. Should we count them together? This is Jesus' description of himself. The faithful witness, there's one. Firstborn of the dead, there's two. The rule of kings on earth, there's three. He has freed us from uh, from our sins by his blood, there's four. Made us a kingdom of priests, there's five. He is coming with the clouds, there's six. I am the Alpha Omega, says the Lord God, who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty, there's seven. Seven descriptions to the seven churches and greetings from the seven spirits. This is a piling up of sevens just in four verses. It's a clear revelation. What is being communicated by this number seven that shows up three times in these four verses? It is this completeness. Completeness of our Jesus in every conceivable way. You see the complexity? Do you see the beauty how this greeting from heaven to the complete church is written? See, This is exactly how you read and understand apocalyptic literature. This is what apocalyptic literature does. And apocalyptic, again, doesn't mean zombies or nuclear war. It means revealing. Here's what apocalyptic does. Apocalyptic literature does. It piles things up one upon another in beautiful, complex literary construction. Just in case you missed it the first time. In this greeting from heaven... We have five complex Old Testament references and two New Testament references. Reminder, John is 90 in prison when he wrote this. He is certainly not at the peak of his intellectual capacities and capabilities. How many of you could write this on your own if you had a good night's sleep? He doesn't have any scrolls with him to go back and look. He's not sleeping well. He's very old and weak. He's most definitely probably malnourished. There's only one rational explanation. John was given these words, this greeting from heaven. But who in the world would have the ability to infiltrate this isolated Roman prison? Either somebody with loads of scrolls, or somebody with a complete cognitive working knowledge of all scripture, who would be able to do that and help John connect the dots as this greeting does? Well, it could only have been Jesus. Man, just wait to see what you learn next week. Commercial, right there. (laughs) I mean, seriously, next week is just like, like, I'm, I'm really excited about this study, but it's a little intimidating because I don't want to miss anything. All right, let's go to the personal section. Blessed is the one who reads aloud. You remember that from verse 3 last week? Here's the sermon preview this week. And this is kind of an in-your-face kind of thing. The revelation of who Jesus really is forces one of two responses, rejection or worship. There is no middle path. That's just a fact. What do you think would be the response of the believers in these seven congregations as they began to read this aloud together. I mean, they would be able to pick up on these references that I just laid out for you. Imagine the, uh, the best way I could describe it. Imagine the corporate wow. <laughs> those wow moments as they discover these Old Testament links and they stop and they turn to them and read those aloud as well. Seven spirits, that's a, Isaiah eleven too. Let's turn there. Do you think they were experiencing possibly the promise that John gave them in verse 3? Blessed are those who read this aloud. Wouldn't you like to be blessed? Can we be blessed as they were right now as we hear these words aloud together? This is a verse from our study in 2 Peter that we just finished up. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the rational explanation for this greeting from heaven. This greeting from heaven delivered to this 90-year-old man in a harsh, harsh, isolated prison affirms our faith in Scripture. The complexity of these five verses show God didn't just inspire John to write this, he empowered John to write it. This greeting is the foundation for the development of our process and discipline that we're going to need to read Revelation correctly. Just reflect for a few minutes with me on the incredible Revelation or apocalypse of Jesus just in his greeting to us. This miraculous intricacy of this greeting, it should inspire you to read what's next, to discover how else Jesus might reveal himself in the next passage. It's a revelation into the supernatural process of how Jesus reveals himself to his people through his word. See, this is why this is important. And while you can have your own personal devotions with God, and that's good and that's important, but this is why primarily Scripture is intended to be read aloud in community. As we discover together the links within, that's why you can be fascinated with the deep meanings that are inserted. It makes you instinctively want to explore Jesus more. Did you know, this is interesting, did you know that humanity is the only species on earth with the ability to worship or to identify and admire something beautiful or complex or glorious? Cows don't sit on a hill and say, mmm, nice mountains. (laughs) They just don't. Only humans can do that. Did you know this? Humans are the only species that can point to direct someone's attention to something else. Did you know that? Only humans can direct someone's attention to something that is worthy of admiration or awe and respect. Like when you see a cool video, hey, check this out. Animals can't do that. And when Jesus reveals who he is, there is only one proper response. To identify him, to point to him, and worship him and say, wow, that's our Jesus. And when we worship our Jesus because of who he has revealed himself to be, worship isn't about just only an experience for our benefit, to enjoy the good music, to have an emotional feeling. It is the natural response to our fascination with Jesus. But there's more to it. This response to Jesus as he reveals himself, that is, in fact, the blessing that John promised in verse 3. Blessed are those who read aloud. What's the blessing? They recognize who Jesus is. It's not money. It's not jet planes. It is recognizing who Jesus is, the desire to worship Jesus when he reveals himself. This blessing of worship manifests itself as a community of priests pointing to Jesus In song, in prayer, in service, in generosity, and integrity. This blessing that we see from verse 3, from hearing this greeting aloud, this blessing inspires us, as John says, to be a part of this kingdom of priests that Jesus is calling us to be a part of. A priesthood that is characterized and divinely inspired, full of what? proclamation, integrity, and industry. It's God's chosen, pointing to Jesus, saying to others, look, look at the awesome complexity and majesty of the Jesus that I serve. So if you are here today, perhaps you're lacking inspiration for true worship. Maybe things are a little flat Perhaps what's been missing is a fresh revelation of who Jesus is. Maybe you've forgotten. So this morning, I'm going to ask the team, they can start making their way up here. This morning, we're going to do something a little different. What we're going to do is we're going to read this passage again aloud in community. While all the details that I just flew through are still fresh in your minds, all the sevens, all the descriptions, the greeting from heaven, from Daniel, from Isaiah, from Exodus, from Psalms, from Colossians. What I want you to do as we read this, and we're going to read it slowly, I want you to let the beauty, the complexity, And glory of God's truth penetrate your heart and penetrate your mind. And as we read aloud, let it bless us with inspiration to worship Jesus as those whom he has called to be priests. John to the seven churches in Asia, grace to you and peace from him. Who is, who was, and who is to come, from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be glory